Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Able, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers, clarify your message, and make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the word adaptable, the ability to adjust to new conditions, and it may be best defined by its synonyms, flexible, adjustable, versatile, and a favorite of this podcast, resilient. Joining me to discuss what it means to be adaptable is Dee Dee Brown, who is the Senior Vice President of Multicultural Marketing and Publicity at Paramount Pictures. Before Paramount, Dee Dee worked on blockbuster films like Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse, Godzilla, Bad Boys for Life, and hit TV shows like Southside, God Friended Me, and The Neighborhood. And before that, was Director of Special Events and PR at the New York Post. Dee Dee is also the co-host of Black on the Scene, a podcast which celebrates Black people and content in the entertainment industry that help drive change and authentic representation. Welcome, Dee Dee. I am so excited that you are here. Oh my God, thank you. I could not be more excited and honored to be talking to you today. Thank you. And we're two Brooklyn girls on a gorgeous Brooklyn day. I can't wait to get out. (laughs) So... First off, why'd you choose adaptable? I struggled a little bit when you asked the word because I was like, what is the, how can I sort of define not just career, I think trajectory, but life trajectory. And I I consider myself so nimble um, that I really had to sit with it for a while. And I just thought about, I think the thing that has served me best in my personal and professional life. And that has been being adaptable to, um, to life, certainly from being a child of like divorced parents, having to be adaptable to a new step families on both sides and, and new cities and, and just new ways of being all around. And I noticed that it is definitely served me in such an amazing way just through life in general. So that's why I chose Adaptable. I was so happy when you did for a number of reasons. And I love the synonym you just gave, nimble. But I also love too, because pivot, which is sort of a trendy word, and now everybody's like, I'm over it with the pandemic. I get it. But it's like adaptable is now and forever. And it's so much value. It's also a mindset. I mean, it's an action like I need to adapt and I am adaptable is a really positive statement. But it's a mindset and you buy into. Do you have a memory as a kid saying I was adaptable in the situation or before or after? Or is it strictly kind of a hindsight situation? I think, again, just sort of going back to my parents divorcing when I was around five or six moving back in with my grandparents in a small, small town, Wetumpka, Alabama, and my mom sort of going back to work to further her education and adapting to being a single mom of two, working, trying to um, adapt to this new reality. And And I think it's probably seeing how she overcame certain situations and mindsets. I mean, she grew up in the Jim Crow South, so we know that there's an adaptability to that. And having a certain 
a certain mindset. I and I would not have said that then. Of course, now, you know, through lots of um, therapy and taking like your amazing courses and reading lots of self help books and all the things, I know that it really she had a particular mindset and faith as well. And then my stepfather was in the Air Force, and we moved from Montgomery, Alabama, which is an adjacent town to Wetumpka. And we moved when I was in eighth grade. So everything that I knew and had been doing middle of eighth grade at that, not even the beginning of the school year. And that was just, I had to be so adaptable and nimble and it served me so well. I learned so much about myself and the world and culture and and, you know, I, I, I became less of small town DD and more of like, you know, kind of what I thought at the time was like international, you know, DD living in South Florida with this amazing culture and diversity. So what did you learn about yourself? I learned that life and I was always an avid reader growing up. It's funny now because um, I probably shouldn't have been reading a lot of the books that I read. I read with my what my mother read. I think a lot of us did, a lot of us Gen Xers, right? So if your mom was reading romance novels uh, and Danielle Steele, who I absolutely adore and just saw her documentary, which is amazing. I highly recommend that. Um, and my mom was great for, we went to the library to pick out books. And so I became a huge fan of Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. And I'm really dating myself, I know. But I could see there was this amazing, like, glamorous world from, from the books that I read. And TV wasn't what TV was or is now. And, we, and my mother was not an advocate of us watching a lot of TV. And so I get to South Florida and... I just, I didn't know that I had a Southern accent because everyone around me had a Southern accent. And when someone pointed that out, I was like, oh, somehow this makes me different. And different then wasn't good. Different now is good. And it just taught me, you know, I had to make all new friends. And I was a cheerleader in junior high. I had to rethink like all of, all of the things I was interested in and who I was friends with and, and you know, how I was showing up in the family. And I, I would just add that, you know, if you're a blended family and have uh, parents who are divorced, there's the duality of that. Um, so navigating all of, all of those things really help, I think, set my mindset. Things, are, things evolve and change, and you have to as well. Did you have any role models of color? Because you just, all the characters you just named are white. <laughs> That's an excellent question, Barbara. Uh, not really. I didn't really get into sort of Black literature until I went away to college. But my role models of color, my Black role models were, of course, my parents. And we were avid churchgoers. I mentioned faith. Um, I was brought up in the Church of Christ, and my parents are still very devout to this day. Um, I'm not as religious, I, <laughs> um, but I certainly was around a lot of Black leaders in the church, um, in Sunday school. I had a few Black teachers as well, but certainly not in the content I think I was 
consuming. And that didn't happen until I went away to college and took like African-American studies and women's studies. And that just uh, lit me up in, in ways that I never would have imagined. Because where I'm connecting the dots with this is you're a very successful woman in the entertainment industry, which is hard to begin with, let alone being a very successful black woman in the entertainment business. So I just like connecting the dots. Have you ever sat back and are there times in the moments of reflection of like how I adapted or when you have to dig deep and be like, okay, I, I can, I can shift. I'm nimble. I can adjust to whatever. Are there moments where you're like, I realize adjusting that moment is what propelled me forward. Yes. There, ha- I mean, there have been so many ways from, I majored in First of all, just going to college at this point, right? So my my biological father was a college graduate, but he wasn't as involved in our lives growing up for for a number of reasons and the move didn't help. And you know, there are the issues that you have with dealing with that and my my stepfather who's this who's just an amazing man who raised me since I was, you know, eight years old, eight, nine years old, and he and my mom got married. He didn't get his college degree until he was 50, Mm. the same age that I am now. And my mom um, did not graduate undergrad, but got an RN nursing degree as a mom of, at this time, three kids and a new wife and like all the, all the things. And so I, going to college as sort of like this first ish generation in within the entire family and getting there and just not even I decided I was going to major in broadcasting because I was interested in it in high school and that just goes to show you like all of those amazing classes and creative opportunities that we have in schools really really matter and at the time Oprah was bubbling up right? So this is sort of the mid, uh, sort of the late 80s, mid to late 80s. And so I could sort of see that. And I was bubbling around high school as like the little baby Oprah, which people sometimes called me, which was very funny doing reporting and all of that. So I decided I wanted to go to go to school to major in broadcasting. And I did. And when I graduated, it didn't feel so right to be reporting on tragedies and all the things we know that sort of broadcasting was back then, there wasn't entertainment the way it is now. And so I am not really seeing anyone else doing this. I, I, internships, certainly they were important. And I did do, I think, a couple of interns, but I also worked my way through college. So there was that being super independent. and. Getting my degree and navigating that whole process of what are my next steps, there was absolutely no blueprint, but I think I was on the side of, again, being super adaptable to learning how to get along with people, to be engaging, to be smart with like how I, and I have a lot of, I guess, social intelligence that I learned, I think, again, from being child of divorced parents and moving and and being a cheerleader and doing student council and things like that. So getting into the entertainment industry, I probably always had a little bit of that in the background, but I didn't have a clear vision for it. And so I didn't really even get my start until I was like 26. 
start in my career. I was waiting tables after school and I also worked at an athletic shoe store. I, it just took me a while to find my way. And when I did, I had great resources. And now I know that they're mentors, but none of them were people of color. Again, being super adaptable and knowing I've got a place in this. I just have to keep working really hard, be of service, learn as much as I can, and keep pushing forward and being open to all sorts of opportunities. And on top of that, Barbara, I was laid off like three times before I was the age of like 30. So I was going to say, you know, on your way up, there are many, many ways everyone has to adapt. And sometimes that's adapting um, your work schedule, adapting how you get to work, adapting skill sets, how we communicate, how we dress, right? It just suddenly it's like the culture, because you go to work somewhere and the culture is different and adapting to that culture or not. But with that, I was going to say, because obviously you're good at all these things, a trickier thing, you may or may not be working with people who are adaptable and needing to open eyes, turn no's into yeses, or getting someone just to be a little bit more open-minded about something, um, shifts in the culture, <laughs> shifts in technology, changes in how we do publicity and multicultural marketing, the fact that we need this, all of those things. How do you get your bosses to adapt? Well, that also is a great question because even in the mid-2000s, that multicultural marketing wasn't so much a thing. But I always, and I think a lot of Black and brown folks do, advocate just organically for diversity. And I could say uh, where I was working in the mid-2000s, they weren't as receptive to it in in many ways, but my being able to present hopefully new ways of thinking for them and why things make sense and why um, diversifying your intern class opens up a different level of opportunity, not just for the company, but in, you know, externally, but also internally. And I've noticed as I've gotten older and again, through a lot of coaching and research and one book in particular that changed my life and, and has helped me become uh, a better, I think, employee and managing up and helping bosses to adapt is daring greatly, is for me to show up with an open heart, with vulnerability about my own maybe challenges and experiences as a Black woman. And certainly over this past year, with the racial reckoning that we had, the pandemic, I was sort of thrust into the spotlight. And I'm reserved is not the exact way I would describe myself. But because I grew up, I, I, I think as a gin Xer, like no one really cared about our feelings in corporate. No one really cared. Like you didn't cry in the bathroom. You didn't express yourself in the ways that I think we have a bit more freedom to do now. And certainly I pushed a lot of, I think, my blackness down, my disappointment, you know, being also a woman, being from the South, I've changed the way that I've talked just to fit into the the sort of dominant culture. And thank God that is changing in so many ways and, and certainly daring greatly just opened my mindset and my heart to showing up 
more vulnerably and authentically, so managing up and also managing down. And I think that's been the best way that I've gotten bosses and also folks that might report to me to be more adaptable and open-minded. Are you open to being specific? Can you think of ways? Well, I'm thinking about it, you know, probably more in like, in in certain business dealings, I was self-employed for a while and also just managing, I also have like a rental property where I had an issue with a tenant who I kind of inherited with the property. It's a very long drawn out story, but there was a little bit of like, not animosity, but she was in a place where she couldn't afford the new rent in Brooklyn. We know it was very, uh, uh, sort of a very challenging situation when you realize, oh my gosh, this neighborhood that I've been in for so long is gentrifying and I don't have the same financial resources. And I just recall being very tense and defensive about her wanting to stay and not being able to sort of afford the place. And and it was just, a, we were just, just not in a good place. And I think it was after having read Daring Greatly, I walked by her apartment and overheard her crying. And the old Didi before reading that would have probably just kept going and not gotten involved. And we had just had, you know, a few things that she was um, sort of insistent upon before she left. And, and I just paused for a second. I said, you know, what would I want someone to do for me? And like, how can I show up in this place that's like really more open-hearted and open-minded? And so I just texted her and asked if she was okay. And, and she was so thankful that I checked on her, but also it opened up another dialogue about how she was leaving, going to leave the apartment and getting her set up in, in a new place and like all of these things. And we both sort of parted rays with more, you know, with more kindness and appreciation and respect for one another. And I would say over the past year and a half regarding showing up with a little bit more vulnerability, I have certainly in um, having to present as a leader, a, a, a Black female leader at a new company where I haven't met anyone and we're forced on Zoom to um, address these like racial inequities and how somehow I'm uniquely poised to do that as a person who just started with the company and, you know, it was super, super challenging in the way that I, it opened up a lot of just old wounds and vulnerabilities and, and, and my own, again, challenges with things I've pushed down over the years, being a Black woman, a Black woman from the South, you name it. And I just had to expressed and on a Zoom call, I just basically cried. It's emotional now because, I mean, you got to think that's probably 25, 30 years of, of stuff sort of bubbling up, not to mention all the other things that were going on. And that's one way that like I have shown up more vulnerable. And, and again, to be vulnerable is to be adaptable. 
That is so freaking powerful, Dee Dee. That's incredible. Yeah, it was tough. It's still tough some days, to be honest. How does this lead to you creating your podcast? Oh my gosh. It, I, I've been for years now trying to figure out my own sort of creative expression in my own creative voice, hence me taking a few of your classes, which has been so monumental and helpful with coming back to some old dreams. I think that I had sort of, you know, again, pushed down, moved away from, thought they weren't possible. And creating the podcast with one of my absolute favorite people. And it's so funny because he's like 14 years younger than me, but also like a mentor. <laughs> like he's he's a baby big brother. Uh, my friend and podcast host, John Gist, we were having these conversations just ongoing over the years about Black entertainment and our love for a lot of the projects that we worked on and what we learned on those projects and in seeing so much of the work that goes on behind the scenes. And of course, you know, we're very well aware of the amazing work that the actors and, you know, directors and and now, you know, producers and writers are coming, you know, are, are, are getting their, you know, are shining in a way. And, but there's so much more that goes into creating these amazing projects. And we were working on a lot of them and, I just thought, how can we shine a light on this industry that we love so much and the folks that we love so much that embody how representation matters? You know, certainly seeing growing up with like a different world at the same time that I was in college. Um, So I'm thinking the younger generation, the millennials who came after watching it, really identifying, seeing yourself in that way. And I think that that has been very pivotal in why we have so much dialogue and and an opportunity to rethink how we're showing up as black and brown people and how that is. And I think there's there's no... I think there is absolutely no coincidence that you had a different world, the Cosby show, so many other things happening in the, I guess, mid nineties, living single, that you can see how important that was for what I think millennials have driven in our minds and hearts through social media and representation. I don't think we would be here without that representation. And that is why John and I really thought we can shine a light on these amazing folks in the entertainment industry that encompass not just TV and film, but certainly across sports, art, fashion, that really light us up and exemplify how representation matters. You have such broad experience. So I want to know if we could switch gears for one second and actually just to offer some inside information and tips and maybe demystify or bust myths for some of my listeners. Many are creatives and thinking, wow, how do I market? How do I do PR? How do I adapt? Because that's another place where we get latch on to a lot of false narratives, right? Or we get stuck into 
the way things used to be and have a hard time adapting to where the world is now. I think I've always been open and curious and I haven't had like, I, I, I do think that there's something about having a master plan and having a vision, but it has helped to be, it has helped me to be adaptable with that vision because you're going to get thrown a monkey wrench. For instance, I've been laid off, as I've mentioned before, three times. And each time it, it was shocking, but I knew there was something on the other side of that. And I knew that I had established really great relationships and it was going to lead me to something else. And what I didn't know, but I was going to be open to the serendipity of it all. And so for me, what's been so key is having those really amazing relationships, even some that now I haven't thought about in years or for whatever reason we parted ways in you just lose touch with people and then somehow they surface back. And I've had this, this opportunity recently with someone, he was my original work husband almost over 20 years ago at a job and we had the best time working together. And I didn't realize, I hadn't thought about it because again, we had moved on and recently we've reconnected and he's like, I just had the best time working with you. I want to figure out a way for us to continue to be in touch and for us to maybe work together in the future. We just had so much fun. And and he's just been a big supporter in over the past year of helping me, you know, think through things, new opportunities, um, certainly with the job that I that I have now and taking that job in the pandemic. So I would say for those folks who are creative is a, humble yourself. It's really important to be super humble and know that you don't know what you don't know. So being open to new ways of being and reading as much as you can from uh, Elizabeth uh, Gilbert's, Elizabeth Gilbert's Black, uh, Big Magic. I have so many books that really help open my mindset to what that means to what it means to be flexible, adaptable, and bring in, you know, sort of usher in new opportunities. And just know that there's no blueprint. You can make this up as you go along, as most of us have. Mm. I just want to take a moment to remind, because we didn't go there. It's Daring Greatly as Brene Brown. <laughs> A copy of it is only always like three feet away from me. So I also want to just jump in on something you just said. Are there moments you can actually recall when you realized you were experiencing resistance? Because resistance is the big old cement cinder block wall between us and adaptable. Yes. The resistance, there's, a, in, there's the internal resistance, which comes from not wanting to adapt. And I have a perfect example of that where... At the job that I had in the mid-2000s where I worked at the New York Post, it was an awesome job. You got to know, I quit my job in Atlanta to move to New York and had no idea what I was going to be doing with myself. I ended up landing through relationships, a job, just a temporary job at GQ. And it was only for, I think, about six weeks doing travel coordination for the GQ Men of the Year Awards. I think I was being paid like $15 an hour and I had no idea what I was going to do after. I thought, oh, I would just 
maybe I would travel. I, I just knew that it was time for me to do something different. And so just through serendipity, I met my former boss's boss at an event. Actually, it was a barbecue on the Upper West Side, and we got to talking, and he needed someone to fill in for someone who was going on maternity leave. And we did, and we just we just clicked and had an amazing time. And I ended up working there past her maternity leave. She hires me. I'm at the company for 11 years. And within those 11 years, I got promoted within three, just creating this opportunity that wasn't there as the director of PR and special events, because I saw a hole, I saw a need, and I wanted to get promoted, but there was no, there wasn't a blueprint for that, and there was no open role. So I don't know how I knew how to do this, but I suggested that we need this. It's something that'll serve the company, and I would like to be promoted. I also want to make more money. and. It worked out great. And then I proceeded to stay for eight years, which was probably about three years too long. And I was starting to get the pull about two years prior to when I left. And I knew it was at a crucial point where if I didn't make the decision to leave, I was the universe was going to make the decision for me to leave. And it did on a very fateful day in 2013. And the resistance that I had to shaking up my life, I was on a routine, you know, I was living my best sex in the city life, bopping around New York and, and everything that you could imagine that came with like an awesome job like that, working with really awesome people, but I wasn't being challenged. And I was just resistant and, and afraid to step out there and figure out what's next. And so when I got pushed out, um, when I got laid off, I realized that I had to let go of the resistance I was feeling for change, but I knew I needed it. And so embracing that, and it was a struggle. It wasn't easy. I don't want to mean by, I don't want to convey that all of a sudden I woke up at this very enlightened place. I had to relearn. I had to learn, again, a different way of being. And that's where adaptability just really came in and I practiced it in so many ways. I tried to start a vintage clothing business. I did events. I There were so many things that I did just trying to find the thing that was going to light me up next. And it took it took some time. I mean, it was seven years of self, self-employment. And then, of course, I had this wonderful opportunity to join the Paramount family. So, Didi, you are a gift. Wow. Thank you. So wait, where can everyone hear Black on the Scene? Black on the Scene can be downloaded with any of your favorite podcast networks. We are so excited to be seeing, bringing you a season two coming very, very soon. And Barbara, thank you so much for this opportunity to chat with you. You have really, along with Brene Brown and some of the other um, self-development things I've done, really changed my life, my mindset, taking your courses, reading your book, but also just talking to you with how not just optimistic and lovely and warm you are, but so authentic 
and kind and you really believe anything's possible and it's it's exemplified in anything any and everything that you do and share so thank you so much for this opportunity it's it's just been so great getting to know you and being on this show and just being a part of the barber world wow thank you so much love back to you Didi. and remind us too where can we find you on social media because everyone needs to find you D2BNYC on Instagram, and of course, um, LinkedIn at Dee Brown, D-E-D-E Brown. I adore you. And thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you would like to improve your communication skills right now, go to my website, ableintermedia.com, and download my free 12 tips for success on camera. If you're interested in private one-on-one coaching, please visit the contact page and shoot me a note. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button too if you haven't done that already. Thank you. Thank you.